The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Additionally, add to uh, response to Jerry's question, just that Ying will be talking about that exact topic uh, in the second teaching today. So about the this particular role that yes in this sutta the the teach the the buddha is, uh, emerges as a certain kind of teacher and establishes you know how and and why we can trust not only the teachings but this particular buddha as a teacher so yeah let me let me start with the first sort of um substantive teaching although hey what wasn't substantive about the q a you know we could do a whole thing of just q a it's so rich what comes up and really those are such wonderful questions it's so part of our aim in this is to to encourage people to engage like we have in this study you know in integrating study and practice so the question and answers is a lot of what we're about so i'm happy to i'm going to reduce in the time just a little bit what i talk about but i'm so happy to have given space for the those rich questions and, and lengthy, easeful answers, you know? Um, yeah. So toward the end of the sutta, it, it, in quite an interesting and not, not unique, but pretty unusual fashion, um, we have this logical progression whereby, uh, and I'm sort of recalling these things as, as we talked about them last time, as we find a place of, greater ease in our meditation as we're able to recognize that the roots of unskillful action are associated with these unwholesome mind states of wanting, of aversion, of selfing, of delusion. Um, we, we find ourselves able to allow the heart to expand and possibly even without cultivation, as we rid ourselves of these kind this kind of self-focused, um, agency-oriented uh, orientation toward the world, we can let others in. We can find that there's room in our experience to care about others, to take uh, delight in, to rejoice in their accomplishments, to feel compassion if they're experiencing suffering, and to hold with clarity and ease um, the, the experiences of others. Uh, the next thing that happens in the sutta is this very kind of abrupt transition. It says a practitioner who has found themselves in these spaces, that is with a, with a, a mind at ease and a heart that's increasingly open wins four assurances. And it's very easy to skip over this passage because it's kind of like, what for sure? What, you know, it's, it's uh, what is this about? But you'll remember that there's this four assurances and, um, what we what we noticed as we looked at this is that there's a parallel between the way these are laid out and something that you may be you may recall to mind that's referred to as Pascal's wager, a um, a way that Christians in the European tradition worked with the question of how do we know how to act skillfully uh, when we can't know for sure whether there's an ultimate being who will provide at some future date judgment of our actions. And this is a question that um, is common in world wisdom traditions. Each of them may be dealing with it in a different way, but we can see it turning up here. And it's a, it's a fundamental question of the Kalama Sutta, which is, okay, we can't settle some of these debates that these other ascetics have brought to us and that there's a great deal of discussion about. Um, but how do we act? Because we want to know what to do in the next moment or tomorrow or you know, 
um, we have these immediate questions about action that aren't um, aren't that, that aren't clear to us. And we wanted to point out it's not clear in the Kalama Sutta, but we know the four of us and others of you who've read them that there are frequently a list of the issues that perplex an audience like the Kalamas in this case, and that although there are sometimes dozens or scores of them, they can frequently be reduced to a few fundamental questions. And two of the most common um, that appear over and over again as perplexing um, are the question of whether there's uh, future lives, whether one is reborn in future realms, other realms after death, and whether this, the, the kind of rebirth that one experiences is related to how one has acted in this life. In other words, are there consequences for good or evil actions? Are there consequences for the way we act? And we have um, put these in a little graphic, which we can share that, and we sort of make this uh, reference to Pascal's wager, but it's a slightly different setup. But basically, in these four assurances, what the, what the Buddha outlines are the fruits of um, skillful action in the here and now, <clears throat> regardless of what we can know about future lives and consequences of our action. And just to get the language, I realize I, I haven't uh, actually read the sutta, and it looks like if my clock's right, there's time. But the... The assurances read like this. The first assurance that this practitioner has won is if there is another world that is future lives and if there is the fruit of result of good and bad deeds, in other words, karmic consequences, then it's possible that after death, this practitioner will be reborn in a good destination, in a heavenly world. And then the obverse of this. The third assurance, there's kind of two parallels here. The third and fourth, say the following. Suppose evil comes to one who does evil. Then if I have done no evil, then I'm in good shape. And likewise, uh, suppose evil does not come to one who does evil. And again, if I'm acting um, skillfully, then I'm, uh, I'm in a good situation. And these can be summed up here, just that whether or not we know about future lives, if we act well now on the basis of ridding our experience to the extent we can of delusion, of um, unskillful wanting, of aversion, there's a short-term benefit to ourselves and others if there's no future and no consequences. And likewise, if we come to find that there are future worlds within which to be born and consequences of good and evil actions, then we experience a long-term benefit to ourselves and to the world. It's interesting to note, it's not always the case, but in this sutta, there's no real focus on um, hell or on um, the sort of long-term discomfort, anguish, and pain that might result from a life spent um, doing all sorts of unskillful actions. And although we can't make any general statement that that's true across the suttas, it's certainly the case here that the 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 in in the skillful means that the Buddha uses to respond to the Kalama's perplexity. Um, I, I use the phrase skillful means because either Jerry or um, where was the other question from uh, Jerry or Randy uh, use that phrase. But the the way the Buddha responds here 
um, doesn't, it's not one that threatens hell or that it focuses more on the, um, the benefits that come to practice with either um, whether or not there are future lives or consequences for, for action. And so the implication for the Kalamas, uh, it's actually, I guess, not just an implication, but explicitly stated is that conduct can be confidently based around our orientation to our knowing and our direct experience of wholesome mind states and to what we observe about skillful action. In other words, engaging in fruitless debate about ultimate realities or endless ethical theorizing um, is, is just perplexing. It doesn't lead to anywhere. And even if one engages in these debates using wise speech, they don't actually have any bearing on how we act. That we're safe, that's we're assured of short and long-term benefits if we pay careful attention to how the mind is when it's free of um, aversion, of wanting, of selfing, of delusion. So that's, that's that portion of our, of our teaching today. And I'm going to hand it back to Diana. Well, David, I, um, there's a few minutes. If, I wonder if you'd like to take one or two questions. See if anybody I, has a question about that. I'd love that. And uh, you can just go ahead and unmute. We're a small group today. Katie, you've raised a hand. Yes, I am wondering um, what you think the fourth assurance means when it says, I see myself purified in both respects. If you pick up the Bhikkhu Bodhi translation, which is yay thick, you probably, you may have a copy, and you look at that footnote, there is, I should say, that fourth one has a footnote, and it goes to a very long discussion in which he makes reference to the commentaries. I think there's quite a bit of, it's not clear exactly what he means, uh, what's meant by... Um, this phrase, and that's why I left it out when I read it, Katie. Um, this, uh, there, then right here, I see myself purified in both respects. The closest that, that, that I can get to it, sort of drawing from practice as well, is that this is to say, um, if evil doesn't come to one who does evil, then if I'm acting well, if, I'm, if I base my actions, then I am um, I'm assured in either direction. That is, I'm... Um, I'm, what do I want to say, safe um, from having to worry about um, um, consequences after, after death and some ultimate judgment. That's how I read it. But again, I think, I think um, it's not entirely clear even to the scholars who've spent a lot of time about it. Now, we have among us, we have right here, Kim, Diana, and Ying. So that's my response. But it might be possible that, for example, Diana... Um, has a better response. Since, since Diana said, hey, would you like to take some questions? I'm going to throw it back at Diana, but she's saying no. Anyway, I think you could read that footnote, but again, <clears throat> there isn't, it, isn't completely, um, it isn't completely clear. I would say this, I guess, just by way of responding to this question too. One thing you'll find if you spend time with the suttas, uh, as we are, is that there can be an attempt to make things parallel and make things even and make things match up. Uh, and you'll sometimes see that there's 
there's correspondences between numbers of things that sometimes seem to look, seem a little forced. And this is part of the way these come down to us. This helped in memorizing them, but also they were memorized and chanted and um, um, what's the word protected and uh, um, maintained through a lot of different communities and traditions. And then variously at other times combined in various recensions of them. And so sometimes you get parallel structures like that, that are just the, an artifact of the, of the texts or of taking um, a long tradition of oral tradition and committing it to text. So I would just comment that too, that sometimes it's about the text, not about some deeper meaning that we can't figure out. Any other questions uh, about the four assurances or anything else before we go to Diana? Randy has his hand up. Oh, yeah. I see that now. A blue hand. Randy. I just had a quick question. In the watches of the night under the Bodhi tree, the Buddha said that he saw all of his uh, previous incarnations. So... Obviously, the Buddha knows the answer to Pascal's wager. And so do you think that he is just presenting this to us because of our uncertainty and lack of uh, omniscience and understanding? And uh, as opposed to giving us an answer, for example, um, the other ascended being that we know uh, for sure, uh, Jesus said in no uncertain terms that you guys are going to heaven if you do uh, good works. Yeah. Um, you know, Randy always, a quick question, says Randy. Uh, they're, always, they're always deep. Yeah, and so very quick response. You know, the Buddha says in various places that he doesn't teach all he knows, right? Uh, just a handful of leaves. He teaches a handful of leaves compared to a full forest of leaves. And his teachings focus solely on what provides an end to suffering. So I think you can maybe see that at, at work here in, 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 you know, in your response to your question. I think the Kalama Sutta also points us to think that maybe there's a purpose for that, that it's useful to engage not in the ethical theorizing or the debates about ultimate realities, but in that constant engagement with our own experience. This isn't a practice where we get commandments or anything, anything simple. And there's a purpose for that, that we can't ever know from one moment to the next, what's the right thing to do. We always have to engage with our experience to do that. And that's, so that's, there isn't a way by leaving out, if, if there's a known answer to that by the Buddha, there's a purpose in leaving it out, which is that, um, we, we, we're going to act more skillfully. We're going to be kinder to move on from those questions and keep coming back to the heart. So that's my quick response to that very um, rich question. Thank you, David. Yeah, I think I, I would add on to that. I think in the context of the conversation that is happening with the Buddha and the Kalamas, that uh, the Buddha is pointing away from metaphysical beliefs, things that you can't know for yourself, and pointing towards what you can know for yourself. And that's part of the response there. Okay, so 